0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 6 of the Aquascaping Podcast. I'm your host, J Art. I hope your week is going well and your aquascapes are looking good. Joining us today, as usual, is Sean, and we're going to be talking about hardscape. Quick shout out to the guys at UCAPS, AquascapingWorld.com, and ThePlantedTank.net. Thank you guys for your compliments and for uh, the interest in the show. We really appreciate it. You know, we're still here in the beginning phases of it. And, uh, you know, we're by no stretch of the imagination professionals at at radio or or podcasting. But um, we're having a lot of fun. And I hope you guys are having fun with us. Check us out and subscribe on iTunes as well as aquascapingpodcast.com. Don't forget to send in your pictures to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to start a gallery on the website soon and I'd love to feature your work. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or advanced, we're all in this together.
1: So, one of the biggest things here is to have more materials than you actually end up using when you put an aquascape together if you're really limited on your hardscape, it's gonna be tough to come up with something that's actually um, completely satisfying because sometimes uh, certain pieces of driftwood or certain pieces of stone may not work well together. You know, you may have one side of a stone that, man, this is a really good angle, I wanna use this side of the stone, but then you have another piece of stone that doesn't work at the same angle, uh, doesn't look as good, and so you have more options um, you can select the right stones that work together for the look you're going to. Same with driftwood. Um, you know, sometimes there's a just a branch that you uh, that you just want to get rid of, and that's a nice thing actually about driftwood. Is sometimes if there's a branch on there that isn't working with the flow of the aquascape, you can cut it off. Um, sometimes you can tie pieces of wood together uh, to build the look you want and make it look like one uh, one piece.
0: And All right, guys, it's time for today's quick tip. So you're out taking a hike, or you're in your yard and you find a rock and you think to yourself, Hey, this looks great. I want to use it for my aquascape. How do you know it's safe to use in the aquarium? Well there's two tests that we can do out in the field that'll help us determine this. The first is a hardness test. If you bring with you a pocket knife, a pocket knife made of steel, anything softer than steel is probably not safe to use in your aquarium. It'll probably leach out some things that we really don't want in our water column to test. Just take the knife and scrape it against the rock. If it leaves an etch mark, it means it's softer than the steel. So it's probably not safe to use. If you etch or you scrape the rock and it leaves no mark, it means it's harder than the steel and odds are it's probably safe to use. Now the second test is an acid reaction test. Now, if you have muriatic acid, which is used for etching concrete, you can get that at Home Depot or a home goods store, home improvement store. If you pour that onto the rock and there's a reaction to it, it means it's probably not good for the aquarium. If you don't have muriatic acid, you can also use vinegar. Now, vinegar's reaction is gonna be much less than the muriatic acid, so you're gonna to have to look very closely to see if there's any bubbling. But it does work. I'd recommend going with the muriatic acid. If you don't have it, vinegar will work fine. Like I said, just look very closely
1: to make sure there's no reaction. Another important thing to consider: you know, do your do your elements flow together? Do these hardscape pieces work in harmony? Do they keep the view cohesive? And what I mean by that is, and you can see this a lot with driftwood, and I I touched on this a little earlier, is if you have pieces of driftwood kind of all moving and bending and twisting in a similar direction, and then you have one piece in there that seems to go against that, that flow or movement of the wood, that one piece is going to just stick out like a sore thumb. It's going to be an eyesore in the aquascape and viewers are going to, you know, just inherently their eyes are going to move to that spot and you might not be what you want as a scaper. And so just remember to have your your pieces of hardscape play well together, flow together, work together. Um, This is same thing with stones. If there's not some kind of a flow to it and they're not working together that one part that that seems to be fighting everything else will really stand out um, regardless of what you do with planting um, or the rest of the hardscape another tip here uh, use nature as a guide I think uh, good-looking aquascapes seem to be those ones that emulate nature the best and I don't mean emulate nature in a literal point uh, you know diorama escapes definitely Go for a more um, literal painting of of scenery, um, you know, where you have little trees and you have things that look like uh, mountains or or other things in the background. A very literal uh, look, but greatscapes don't have to literally do it, but they have to look like you have a piece of nature there. And what I recommend people doing to get better at this is get out and see nature. You know, go for a hike. Go for a walk uh, somewhere and just see how nature kind of interacts with itself. Uh, nature is always moving towards more more chaos or disorder in a sense, even while there might be some some logic to how it arranges itself. Doesn't always appear to be very orderly, and I think as people here, we tend to try to organize things. We tend to try to space things out evenly. Um, and do things that don't give aquascapes a natural appearance. And it's something you see people begin to get better at as they do more aquascapes. But oftentimes, uh, folks who start out or in the beginning here, they'll space every stone equally. And so you can see this really nice spacing of stones. And they don't do it intentionally. They're not measuring between the stones. It's just something that I think is human nature. And we have to practice a bit to get past that so think about the interplay there of nature and how we can replicate the, the disorder uh, in our aquascapes. Na- nature is always struggling against its ever increasing entropy.
0: So there's this tonalist painter called Dennis Sheehan and he's a brilliant guy, he's awesome. I've watched him do some of his, his works. He does landscapes primarily. And he works with oil on canvas and a lot of times he starts by just taking a paintbrush and dipping it in one of the paints that he has there in front of him and randomly makes a mark on the canvas, a squiggly line or horizontal, vertical, wherever, Um, you know, a thin line, a thick line, it doesn't matter. It's just coming right out of his head. And at the end, he has this beautiful landscape that you never would have guessed started completely randomly. And I think we can use that same type of technique in aquascaping, especially to break out of the mold. I go online and I see a lot of aquascapes that look very similar to each other. And I think we're all kind of basing what we're doing and how we're working off of the same images that we're all looking at. Uh, and it's hard to break out of that mold. And one way to do it is to introduce uh, an element of chaos, like a random uh, stroke on the canvas. Uh, take a, a rock or a piece of driftwood and put it anywhere. You know, throw the rule of thirds and all that out the window and just put it anywhere and take a break and come back and look at it and see where you can build from there. Because in nature, uh, chaos happens. There's there's patterns, certainly. But sometimes uh, the element of chaos is what brings out the real beauty maybe a tree fell a certain way uh or a rock fell and landed in a certain spot that was just completely random and maybe nature then developed around it um you know that can speak a very strong visual uh story especially in an aquascape so sometimes maybe just putting something random in our in our tank Uh, Walking away, coming back, and then building on it is the best way or can be the best way to come up with a beautiful aquascape
1: in a way that we never could have planned. Some ideas from Amano I want to share, and I think this is something that I've come across lately. Um, Instead of just looking at the photos in Amano's Nature Aquarium books, I've started to read what he's written there. And I think there's a lot of really nice insight into how to create an aquascape, a nature, a nature aquascape in particular. But one thing he mentions about hardscape, um, particularly in Uwagumi's, is think about the flow of water and think about its influence on the hardscape over periods of time. And I'm talking like a long period of time. You know, imagine that um, stones have been beaten down by the water. Or they've been arranged or tumbled together in a certain way off the bank of a of a river or things like that. And if you can start to imagine your aquascape in that way, I think you'll improve your hardscape layout. You'll improve the overall uh, appeal of your aquascape. You know, does this does this hardscape uh, represent nature well? And does it look like it's always been there? This isn't something you just put together last week. It looks aged. It looks like it's always been here. And that's something I try to remember when I'm putting together my hardscape. All right. It's time for today's voicemail question. Today's
0: question was sent in by Orlando from New York. Thank you, Orlando. You sent in a great question.
1: Let's get right to it. Hello, Escaping podcast, guys. Great job on your website. I love it. Uh, I got a question about uh, filtration systems, more specifically about the bio-media. Do I really need bio-media in a plant and a heavily planted tank? I mean, aren't plants supposed to take care of the ammonia and the nitrates? You know, some people say that plants prefer ammonia, other people say plants prefer nitrates. The role of the biomedia is to reduce the nitrates from what I understand, right? But right now that biomedia ball is bowls are taking a considerable amount of space in my limited amount of space in my filtration system and it is reducing the flow. So do I chuck the biomedia and just let the plants do their job? Please help me out. Thank you. Bye-bye. A hey, great question, Orlando. Thanks for submitting it. Um, I like the fact that you're thinking about how a planet tank works Um, and I think that is a sign of someone who will be successful in this hobby so great job there and let's dive into your questions so uh, it sounds like you're concerned about limited space in your filter and you're asking why do I need this biomedia in there if the plants are supposed to be great uh, biomedia themselves they do the filtering of ammonia and uh, nitrate as well so the short answer to that question is, well, everyone does it, so why shouldn't you? Uh, But the long answer is a bit more complicated than that. So I'll try to give you the long answer because I think um, that does your well-thought-out question justice. So first off, what's the biomedia doing? So the biomedia is the primary driver of the nitrogen cycle within our aquarium. Uh, There's various species of bacteria that take ammonia or ammonium in our tanks because of the pH level and convert it from ammonium to nitrite to nitrates. And that process is important because uh, ammonium is less toxic than ammonia, but as it builds up, it can be toxic to fish and other living critters in the aquarium. Um, nitrite, which is also an, an intermediary in the process, is also toxic, and it doesn't take a lot to cause um, health deficits to the living organisms in your tank. And so we want a very efficient uh, nitrogen cycle running through our tanks to prevent any negative health consequences from those toxic elements of the nitrogen cycle. With that, the biomedia provides a very uh, dense, highly populated, uh, surface area-rich environment for these bacteria to colonize Uh, making the biofilter, the biomedia, the most efficient means of converting ammonium to nitrite to nitrite to nitrate. You're definitely right that the plants can can handle some of this. Um, The problem there is the plants may not be always growing optimally. And if you have some problems with plant health, they may not be as efficient as the biofilter at removing um, those elements of the nitrogen cycle as the biofilter would be. Uh, The second thing is a filter does provide some flow and flow is important because that is going to prevent detritus from settling on the leaves. It's also going to bring nutrients to your plants. In addition to that, uh, the bacteria in our filters don't move. And so we get the best, uh, most efficient uh, filter by bringing the water to them. And so running that water through the filter is the most efficient means of taking care of uh, our biofiltration needs. Now let's talk a little about the other things in your filter. So if you're running out of space for your biomedia and it sounds like you're thinking that other things in your filter might be more beneficial, and so what are those other things that we put in our filters? So one of those is mechanical filtration. Uh, this is the things like filter wool or sponges, those types of things that uh, mechanically remove detritus or material from the water as it travels through the filter. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, a lot of folks in the Planet Tank hobby don't use a lot of mechanical filtration. Uh, some people use some. It depends upon the filter style, of course, how much you can use. Um, but when using canister filters, the mechanical media is the primary thing causing uh, filters to get clogged up and to reduce the flow through the filter. And so the more mechanical filtration we have, the more maintenance that filter is going to require because it's just going to clog up more frequently frequently Um, it's probably gonna need uh, more regular cleanings. And with that, I've actually been considering removing uh, the small bit of uh, foam that I use in my filter uh, to reduce the amount of maintenance and to maintain better flow over uh, a period of time, because I don't feel it's absolutely necessary. Uh, The second thing that people have in their filters besides uh, mechanical filtered media is chemical filtration. Now, in the planet tank world, chemical filtration media is absolutely not necessary. Uh, So that would be the first thing I'd recommend if you're worried about space, drop that. There's no need to run carbon in a cycled aquarium. Uh, There's no reason to run anything like uh, zeolite, which removes ammonia, uh, or phosphan, which is common in reef systems to remove phosphates, um, or even to run uh, purigen, which is not as aggressive as carbon. And so that would be the thing to drop. If you want to get some more space, drop the chemical media and add more biomedia uh, to your system. So that's it. That's my answer to your question, Orlando. Thank you for submitting it. Uh, Just to sum up really quick, the biomedia is actually the most important component of our filtration systems. If you run out of space, lose the chemical media and minimize the use of your mechanical filtration. If you have a question for the Aquascaping Podcast,
0: please send it into aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll do our best to
1: get you on the air and answer your question for you. Another thing Amano talks about is selecting, you know, hardscape that is similar in appearance and texture. You want these, these pieces to look like they are part of the same piece or the same environment. And even when you're looking at different types of stones, I mean, um siru stone or uh, even dragon stone. I mean, any, t- any type of hardscape, even wood, uh, you know, can vary in its texture and appearance. Manzanita can vary in its texture and appearance. And so if you get pieces that don't have similar textures, looks, appearance, uh, striations, variations, you'll lose the unity in your hardscape. It won't look like it belongs together. And so that's an important thing when selecting hardscape and laying out your heart your, your uh, initial hardscape before planting is to consider that. Uh, and that's again, goes back to try to have as many pieces as you possibly can. Collect hardscape for no intention of putting it in an aquascape right away, but just for the, the sake of building your available hardscape. An interesting thing that uh, I've also uh, learned in the last probably last year here is uh, you know, many people think of the Uigumi style layouts that they originated from, and forgive my pronunciation, I'll try my best here, but Kara Sensui of the Japanese rock gardens. And so, with that, you see people talking about uh, Uigumi layouts in the tradition of this Japanese rock garden. Arrangements or rules. And because of that, you actually see uh, people approaching Uagumis in a very formulaic way. You can even find uh, diagrams of the names of the different stones and their sizes and where they should be placed uh, in relation to each other out there. I'm guilty of sharing that on the forums. I've done that. I've posted this up. Hey, look at this as a reference. And then after reading more from Mr. Amano, about his, his process and where he came up with Uagumi and the idea, uh, he actually based it on uh, how the sand and the rocks looked on the banks of the Amazon. And if you think about that, you know, we really should throw out the rules on Uagumi when we're thinking about it. There, there are definitely rules or things you should keep in mind when aquascaping uh, a hardscape um, some of those that I think of are, you know, if you really don't want your hardscape touching the sides of the glass, um, this is going to gonna narrow the perspective and scale. It's going to make the, the scape seem small. At the same time, if you know that's how it works, you can use that if you're trying to make, you know, something appear to be small. One example of of tanks where I think that that actually works is, is something with a beta in it. Because betas are just bigger fish and their look uh they they become a focus or or, you know um, the center of of an aquascape that they're in if they're in a small small tank and if you try to put them in something that's designed to look like it has a grand scale it's large it's open it doesn't work because you put that fish in there and it just blows the scale away it doesn't work anymore and so creating that closed in environment or look actually I think works really well with betas and so it's not like this this rule is set in stone uh, pun intended uh, but you can you can use it to your advantage in different scapes and so I think it's good to understand the effects of some of these things have on the appearance of the aquascape. So don't don't set up your hardscape um, based upon rules but just know how these different, things play into the overall look of the aquascape.
0: I'm going to have to disagree with my friend's grandmother. Uh, She used to say that patients were for hospitals. And I think that patients in aquascaping is probably one of the most important skills that we can learn and you know it's it's kind of a great thing actually because at least for me it's bled out into other parts of my life uh, and it just helped me slow everything down. But when we when we talk about hardscape, I would anticipate spending a lot spend a lot of time on this. And I don't mean agonizing, uh, you know, over like we said, you know, turning a, a rock ten degrees this way or that way, and you know, stressing yourself out about those kind of things. But I think we should anticipate spending more time during the hardscape phase by setting something up, walking away, and then coming back and looking at it again. I it, it, When I was looking for, you know, I had a bunch of ideas listed in a, in a notepad, and I, I typed them up and sent them over to Sean, and he said he laughed out loud when he came to this one item called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And what that is is basically, uh, it just says that an unskilled person is unable to assess himself or herself because they don't have the ability to. But the more time that you give yourself in this part, in this phase, I think the more you're going to develop, and the quicker you're going to develop. It's just like with me in the, in the photos. Now I build into my process, into my workflow, a gap of time. Um, because I know that if I look at something immediately after I take it, it's going to look a certain way because i still have to some degree the memory of what i just photographed in my head and that's affecting what i'm actually looking at so i need that gap of time to kind of forget and get a fresh view of it and it's the same thing i think with hardscaping uh you know when you're setting something up you may have a vision in your mind and you may think that you have it in front of you but then when you step away and come back and look at it again uh you may not see it anymore. It may not be there, uh, and that's going to, you know, help you develop um, quicker. Just giving yourself time. And the hardscape is really, you know, you're setting the stage for the, the entire life of your aquascape, whether it's three months or three years. Uh, you're creating the skeleton and the bones and the stage for uh, the whole rest of the process. <music>
1: something I want to talk a little bit here that uh, Mr. Romano wrote about is, you know, he used to agonize over the placement of stones in a hardscape. He talks about how he would spend hours arranging them in various ways. Uh, He'd spend all day doing it and he'd finally go to bed only to wake up in the morning and no longer be satisfied with that layout and start all over again. And this was kind of when he first started or he was really focusing on trying to get the best layouts. And I think as aquascapers of any uh, experience level, we can relate to that. You know, I can say that I've spent lots of time uh, trying to get the right hardscape. And, you know, even after planting it, there's been a couple times where eventually I just hated it and I had to change it, move it. And I'm doing that inside the, the, the tank and trying to preserve the planting to some extent. Real pain in the butt. But Um, I'm sure we've all done it. Uh, And I think that's the process of becoming a better aquascaper. Um, And it's good to know that Mr. Amano went through that too. Um, You can find lots of postings on the forums where people are agonizing over their rock placement. And sometimes that becomes a problem because you have someone picking at every little element or or this rock or that rock or move this or don't do that. Um, And eventually you're going to have to plant it. And I think, you have to realize that maybe as someone who wants the greatest aquascape you've ever put together you may not ever be fully satisfied with it but you're learning and you're getting better at it and so Amano is a great proof of that Uh, while he was a great exceptional talent you know behind that talent there was a lot of hard work perfecting his craft and I think we can eventually reach that point where we don't agonize over every placement of every element of hardscape Um, and we'll get to a point where we build a hardscape more naturally. It becomes more of an organic process. Um, You have lots of hardscape to choose from. You have an idea the look you're going for, where things look good and at what angles in the aquascape. And it just becomes a very natural organic process, this aquascaping of of the hardscape. And you can see um, really experienced aquascapers are really pretty good at that They look, they analyze, the thought process is going, they're going through all of that, but it's a very natural process. And with practice, we can definitely uh, get to that point. Uh, Just a quick plug at the end here about that. um, ScapeFu has talked about this thing they call their ScapeFu Dojo, uh, basically a box with sand in it. You can work on arranging hardscape and getting different looks. I think that's a really great thing to do um, because... You know, you don't need to tear down an aquascape every time to just work on rock placement or think about it. Or maybe even if you're looking at um, rescaping your tank in a few months, you can start with um, practicing the hardscape and what you have and how it will look before you ever even touch the touch the scape. So I really recommend doing that if you want to get better. Build yourself a little uh, aquascaping dojo uh, the size of your tank with uh, just some sand. Little box or cardboard box, uh, wood box, whatever. Um, that's open and practice, 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 practice. That's it, guys. That's kind of my rundown of of hardscape. How I think about hardscaping. Uh, if you have other ideas, other techniques, or things that you think are important, you know, feel free to share them with us. It's always nice to hear what people are doing. Uh, I always think there's something more to learn in this hobby, and uh, you know, you guys can definitely probably teach me a thing or two. Uh, but my stuff, I'm glad to share with you guys, and I hope it's helpful. All right, take care. Okay, everybody,
0: I'm going to wrap up the show here. Thanks again for joining us on the Aquascaping Podcast. Don't forget to check out aquascapingpodcast.com or send your questions and pictures into aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. We're officially on iTunes, so you can go there, rate, and subscribe, or you can just follow us uh, on the website. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for joining us this time here on the Aquascaping Podcast.